0: and welcome to Palace Confidential. It's your weekly look at all things Royal brought to you direct from Mail Plus HQ in Kensington. I'm Jo Elvin and we're back for another busy week of Royal News. Gosh, they keep us busy. So let's head straight to the woman who knows all the secrets, Rebecca English. Rebecca will talk about Prince Harry in a moment, of course, who will, but this week has seen working royals back to work, hasn't it? They
1: have. So yesterday I was with them in London at the Foundling Museum, which is... Uh, a museum dedicated to um, the work of the Foundling Hospital, which was first established in the 1700s for mothers who couldn't care for their children. And they were there um, to meet people who've had experiences of living life in care. And um, as we are recording this today, they're up in Lancashire. Uh, where they're undertaking two uh, community engagements up there in the kind of Burnley area, um, uh, thanking people who've gone above and beyond uh, during the COVID pandemic. Um, So it is back to work with a vengeance for them. And uh, there's a lot planned for next week as well, but I'll have to tell you about that when that happens.
0: And it's all been quiet on the Prince Harry front this year, but he was back with a legal bang this week, wasn't he?
1: He was. I think it was our very own Richard Eden who said on Twitter just a couple of days before, it's been a bit quiet in California, uh, well, Richard, you speak and they listen, uh, and lo and behold, it emerged via uh, a very good story in the mail on Sunday a couple of days later that Harry is seeking a judicial review of the Home Office's. And I think it's really important to emphasise the Home Office's, not Buckingham Palace's, decision to take away his official police protection. Where when he and Meghan decided to quit as working royals and move to the US. And the nub of it is this, is that Harry says while he's happy to pay for adequate private security in the states, he doesn't feel that that would be uh, appropriate or adequate enough when he and his family come back to the UK. So he is asking the courts to help him overturn the Home Office's decision. Um, It's worth pointing out as well, he says that he will pay for it himself, but it's obviously a... uh, Another legal drama involving the substances, and another unwelcome situation for the royal family. What has been the reaction um, to this inside the family? Well, it's a really difficult situation for the royal family because we say it's actually not their decision. It is the Home Office who have to decide how taxpayers' money is, is spent. Um, and uh, it was quite a kind of cold reaction from the, the weekend. It was a bit like, look, this is a matter for the home offices and for the Sussexes and and not one for us. But truthfully, I feel like the kind of the mood music is, even if it was a matter for them, that they really wouldn't be minded to help Harry in this, I have to say. Some people are speculating today and earlier on this week that it means we won't see Harry again until it's concluded because he did say, or his unnamed uh, spokesman said in a statement uh, at the weekend that uh, he didn't feel that it was safe for him and his family to come back. That said, uh, if I was a betting woman, I would still place a wager on him coming back, at least for the Duke of Edinburgh's memorial service in the spring. But I suspect he would come back without Meghan and the children, Uh, a bit like he did for his grandfather's funeral. I think it would be very odd if uh, the Sussexes weren't represented there in some way and and Harry was very fond of his grandfather and his grandfather was very fond of him so that that would be my betting but I'm not sure we're going to see Meghan and the children anytime soon. A member of the royal family challenging the government in this way
0: that's pretty unusual isn't it?
1: It is I mean again only kind of in the the world of the Sussexes do we have a situation where the Queen's grandson is taking Her Majesty's government Uh, to court Um, so you know it is unprecedented and as I say it's it's a very awkward situation for the Queen and Buckingham Palace.
0: And we've also had the news about his and Meghan's business dealings what did you make of those?
1: Now I'll be honest. I'm less excised about this than some because, of course, let's face it: Harry and Meghan are no longer working royals; they're business people, and this is what business people do. Um, you know, they've set up, or their people have set up, a kind of complex network of eleven companies to channel their their, their business dealings through in Delaware in the US, which is quite kind of notorious for for allowing uh, businesses a greater degree of privacy than you would get anywhere else. Um, one of I think what it is interesting about it is it does show the kind of the, the, the strength of their ambition uh you know that they uh, this is what they uh, are going to be doing now they are very much business people with big ambitions to make big money
0: Let's bring in my panel now, and this week we have former Royal Protection Officer Ken Wharf, who guarded a young Harry as a child, and the Daily Mail's diary editor Richard Eden. Welcome to you both. Ken, I'm going to start with you. It's safe to say, isn't it, that Royal Protection is a bit of a step up from Bodyguards for Hire, isn't it?
2: Well, I'd like to think so. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not, not that I have anything anti about uh, about pri- private security, just think there are some very good uh, firms out there. Uh, I think the, 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 the main thing here with, with Harry and Royal Protection, he would know just... How professional they, they they are simply because you know he he was raised him. he was born into royal protection and he he's given he,
0: him all those good memories. Well,
2: exactly, yeah. but but equally he he knows how it works. And I think this is the, the the crux of his issue here is that you know when and if he arrives here in the summer with Meghan and his and his children, you know he wants a sort of a, a safe transfer from wherever he lands into either Kensington Palace or his father, whatever. And he knows that the problem will be that his protection team, sh- should they come with him, are not going to have that understanding, that, that local knowledge and the, the, the clearance to, to find their way into a royal palace. So, you know, that's his dilemma. But there are ways around that, of course, you know, that, you know, and he knows that, that to ask for funding, the taxpayer rightly, in my view is going to object to that because he is effectively he's not a working in the royal family living in a foreign country and suddenly thinks he can click a hand threaten a legal action against this country and and at the same time his grandmother mm. and, and get what he's asking for and I think his approach to this I think is a, is the problem there are ways around that, that that he could have taken which I think would have taken him away from this adverse publicity
0: and Richard I think Harry's argument is that he was born his birthright puts him in you know in danger of this threat and so and he you know his bodyguards won't be able to do a proper job without the necessary intelligence from our security teams. so that seems fair right
3: well we understand that but so did he when he decided to give up his royal duties where that came as part of it you know he moved to america to earn a lot of money and it was made very clear to him at the time that would involve giving up your security and now you have to pay for it yourself. Mm. So, you know, he really is trying to have his cake and eat it at the expense of hard-pressed taxpayers in Britain.
0: Ken, do you have a view on the way he should have approached this?
2: I think what he should have done, I mean, he knows this still well. He, you know, he's got a lot of contact still, despite what he might think, within Buckingham Palace that could have made those contacts with with Scotland yard to arrange for at the very least a liaison officer that would work in conjunction with his protection team even before they left america to make sure that the the transfer from the airport, wherever that might be, to wherever he's going to live in the United Kingdom. Now, if that happened, we probably wouldn't be discussing that now because it would have been in place mm-hmm. and everything would have worked. But to make this, this request at, at relatively short notice and without any warning, you know, threatening this, this legal action, I think has mm-hmm. confused himself, if I'm honest, because I don't think he expected this would happen. He thought that by putting down a, a, a bucket full of cash would solve the problem. No, it doesn't work like that because you know this is a, a state-funded option that whereby you can't suddenly put money into it because then it would, in my view, set a precedent for anybody else to say, "Well, look, hang on, you know, you 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 gave it for for, uh, for Harry for half a million pounds. What about me? You know, I'm coming over. I, I need it. I've got a problem. People don't like me in the United yeah. Kingdom, and so forth." So I think one has to be very guarded and very careful. And I think you know this is what's happened. And I'd be very surprised if they were to give him protection. But I do think. What the, the sell-off will be, they will make available, quite rightly, at little or no expense, because they could use one of the prince's officers, one of the queen's officers, to act as a liaison, to formulate and conduct a plan that makes his time in this country safe for him and his family. I think that's probably what might happen.
0: Why do you think, Richard, it, it's just, this is just my opinion, I guess, but it's, it's just another ball through a china shop kind of approach to this thing, And when Ken's saying it could have been mm. a little bit more...
3: Well, Civilized, I think, Yeah, I mean, what strikes <laughs> yeah. me is also it, it, it comes across as that sense of entitlement. I mean, we've got some really you know, rich and famous people here who have virtually no security. Mm. But Harry making this point about, oh, I need this entourage and everything, it just, it seems like he, he wants all the perks of royalty. Um, and the way he's approached it, as you say, is in keeping with what we've seen over the last year or so, which is confrontational. Mm. And, I mean, let's be frank, it's very aggressive.
0: So do you think, Richard, that will ever see Harry in this country, or at least in the foreseeable future.
3: Well, as usual with him, there seemed to be a sort of element of threat in this legal letter <laughs> yeah. um, please you know, come home. To, to the yeah. Home Office. Um, I thought what was very interesting was talking about his children. He was worried that um, there wouldn't be protection for his children, which to me um, made, made me think possibly he might come back on his own. And then he could claim, well, I'm not being given the protection I need for my children. So perhaps for Prince Philip's memorial, maybe he'll come on his own. Remember, he did that when it was the unveiling of Princess Diana's statue. And then that would be a way of sort of keeping up his grievance at the same time as the royal link. But remember that baby Lilibet, you know, she's almost seven months old now. She is seven months old and she hasn't been christened. You know, royal babies would normally be christened within three months. But from what I heard, Prince Harry made clear he wanted a royal christening for her, the same as um, Archie had. And so when's that going to happen? You know, it's um,
2: very I don't interesting. Know. Well, I, yeah. I think the fact that, that he's gone down this legal route uh, to try and secure protection suggests to me that, that, that he's, I wouldn't use the word desperate, but there's a real reason for him to come to the United Kingdom. And I think he acknowledges that, you know, following the death of his, of his grandfather and the fact that. You know, the Queen, 95, you know, hopefully in good health, but perhaps, well, maybe something that we don't know that perhaps not in that great health, that this is the time really when he should sort of really stack up and, and, and come back, if only out of respect for her, mm. but also for the fact that he has two great Two children that the, the, the Queen hasn't seen, effectively. So I think the very fact that he's made this noise with with the British government to secure protection suggests to me that he's going to make a real effort to come back right, here. Yeah. That would be the reason what, that I would put forward. Um, and I, I just I don't think, irrespective of what happens with the, the judicial review, I think there will be a compromise. And I do think that we'll see him here in this uh, her platinum year. Yes, I do.
0: Mm. Do you can recognise any? of this Harry in the Harry that you knew as a child when you were working with the family
2: well no you know when I worked with him as a, as a young boy he was you know he was a great character I mean he was you know the brother of William and together they were an incredible double act they they lived in a very you know privileged environment but you know they were fun and and credit to both their parents who you know throughout their marriage experienced very, great difficulties but never once did they you know share those difficulties with their children and, and their priority was of course was to give their kids the best time possible mm. which they did um and everyone you know when Harry reached that moment in 2017 married Meghan Markle a, a, a lady of mixed heritage a divorcee in America everyone thought this is the turning point royalty and and he was the most popular man on the planet you know he he was the you know he was the the, the king guy and then suddenly this this move to 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 canada eventually now in california suddenly has become i wouldn't use the word the most hated royal but his popularity has sunk and that's going to hurt him so i do see um a, a different side to harry i mean he is in a different ball game now he's not Carrying out his royal duties, and with with all the patronages he'd have, and his uh, military connections, and the, the the love that he had for the military, uh, and now suddenly he's involving himself in in business interests on the other side of the Atlantic, um, and so this is a different Harry altogether. He's become part of a, a money making machine.
0: But you also read a story this week about how Harry and Andrew are still causing a bit of a constitutional headache. For our Queen.
3: Oh, my goodness, this story is so interesting. It's sort of, you read it, you think, really, can that be true? But the fact is, this is the, the established fact that Prince Andrew and Prince Harry are still um, two of the four councillors of state. Now, this is not some sort of esoteric thing that doesn't matter. What it means is that if the Queen can't carry out her duties, you know, she's 95, if she becomes ill, she's in hospital, then someone carries them out on her behalf. The other two councillors of state are Prince Charles and Prince William, but say they were abroad for whatever mm-hmm. reason. L- by law, it would be the next two um, adults in line to the throne, Andrew and, and Harry, who would be called upon. Oh
0: dear. Well, that—that's <laughs> this, <is>
3: unth- <laughs> yeah. this is unthinkable. So what I was yeah. told this week is the palace is thinking, you know, what can we do about this? But unfortunately, it's in, it's in the law. So they would need to bring a new act of parliament in order to change things um i mean i suspect they'll just try and fudge it by making sure that charles and william are never out of the country at the same time right um fascinating but it's all a bit sort of nerve-wracking for the royal family
0: oh my goodness well let's move on and on that note let's talk about andrew now and we'll bring back the mail's royal editor rebecca english rebecca just as we suggested in the show last week the royals were ruthless in isolating andrew Has there been any fallout?
1: Uh, Yeah, I have to say, yeah, another example of We Speak, They Listen, um, within five minutes of our programme airing, in which myself and others said, you know, people, our sources were telling us that they were calling for the royal family to set Andrew adrift five minutes later that's exactly what they did. I mean, I don't think there's been any fallout per se, but I have to say I would love to be a fly on the wall for the next time they have a family get-together. I think it's going to be pretty awkward. Um, but as I said in, in, a, in a big piece in The uh, the Mail the next day, this was very much driven by the kind of the the, the Queen and her heirs. You know, Prince Charles has long believed that uh, this situation is untenable and that Andrew needed to to be cast out. But I don't think, from talking to my sources, there was just concern that if they did it too early, it could be seen that they were kind of casting aspersions on these allegations being made against him. But obviously when it emerged that he was going to have to fight a court case in the U.S., I think everybody felt enough was enough. And while it was a very painful decision for the Queen, with the backing of Prince Charles and the Duke of Cambridge, uh, they decided it was time for him to go.
0: Do you think there'll be a change in approach from Andrew as a result?
1: Well, people people I spoke to said, you know, although it seems, uh, you know, quite brutal and it was definitely swift and ruthless in the way that it was done, it actually might be the best thing for Andrew because he can now fight this case as a private citizen, unencumbered by the kind of trappings of royalty and having to kind of mind what he says and constantly, you know, have one eye on how this could affect his position within the royal family. You know, he can actually get stuck in and do what he wants to do, which he says is to, to clear his name. So, Perhaps, uh, although humiliating, it's probably the best thing for them. the people I speak to say. And a new witness has apparently come forward. What what can you tell us? This woman has come forward previously, and she is a lady who said she was in the Tramp nightclub in London on the night that Virginia Roberts claimed she was there with Prince Andrew. Um, And she says she remembers it very distinctly because he trod on her toe and... uh, Apologise, it's, it's not often that something like that happens. Um, and now, this week, what's happened is that uh, Virginia's lawyers have made an application or are in the process of making an application to the High Court in London to depose this woman and get a full statement for her. So, uh, as far as both sides go, it is full steam ahead on, um, on trying to see what witnesses they can get and what they have to say. There was
0: also a suggestion in this week's documentary that Prince Andrew and Ghislaine Maxwell were an item. What more can you tell us about that?
1: I think this suggestion is quite bizarre, actually. And from what I can tell, of watching the programme, which was very good, um, but was based on nothing more than the, the fact that she was a very frequent visitor going in and out of Buckingham Palace. To the extent I think this uh, police officer who was on duty once saw her go in and out four times a day. Uh, and there's no doubt that Andrew um, kind of did, did kind of act with quite impunity in, in terms of the people he invited in and out of the palace, which is obviously where he had an office and private apartments. But it's never been suggested before that they were anything more than just very, very good friends. Uh, and I'm, I'm not inclined to believe it, I have to say
0: as always thank you rebecca english and we should say that andrew denies all allegations against him but let's turn to my panel again now and ken we have discussed a new witness just now um surely his protection officers would be able to shine a light on all these occasions
2: well this is something that i've always thought of the minute the, the sort of the following um andrew's explosive interview with emily Maitlis on on television you know, the, the the one or the the num the people that c- could uh, confirm or deny would be um, his police officers, protection officers. You know, Andrew had protection from birth, and on this particular journey, you know, both his protection officers would have travelled with him to New York to Epstein's place, and, and and equally the return journey back here in London. Now, you know, when I worked within royalty protection, and you know, we kept a log, a diary. I don't know quite for how long those that that information, that, that correspondence will be kept. It was it would be in coded format, but the individual officers would understand and, and know what that coded format would be. But irrespective of whether that exists or not, and we're talking some time ago, you know, they would remember quite vividly in my view, in the same way that I remember vividly my days working with Diana in the late eighties, right up to my, when I left in, in, the, in the early nineties, and, and right through my period in royalty protection. So it wouldn't surprise me that, that in whatever whatever depositions are asked for now for, for Prince Andrew before this case in, in the autumn, perhaps, you know, it would seem to me that they would want to interview at least his protection officers, mm. and at the same time, you know, check the flying logs of aircraft their transfer from the United Kingdom to America. Uh, and and that then on to the the pizza uh, explanation, you know who was looking after Princess Beatrice and Usaini at that time. Yeah. You know, I'm only outlining this because it seems to be to a natural uh, course of in, uh, of investigation to establish whether or not Prince Andrew is telling the truth or not. This is this in me is 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 a vital part of the of the evidence gathering process.
0: And presumably, mm. um, visitors to and from the palaces i.e. Ghislaine Maxwell would be vetted in and out. That would all be logged as well, right?
2: Well, with with guests of members of the royal family, what what was certainly customary in my days is that the the, the member of the royal family or his or her private office would give notice to the police to expect somebody so the necessary checks could be made. It, it, It wouldn't be possible suddenly just to arrive at the gates of Buckingham Palace and drive through without any checks being made. So, you know... Whether or not any records of that was made, but certainly, I'm sure there are individuals that would probably be prepared to say, "Yes, I do remember that happening. I remember mm. that happening. I remember the Duke of the Duke of York saying this, or whatever." But you know, there is there is a process, there is a protocol, you know, for for gaining access to royal mm. palaces.
0: And Richard, whether or not any of these new witnesses end up testifying in court, this drip drip of information, it's still damaging for Andrew, isn't it?
3: it really is I mean thank goodness that since we recorded last week's edition of this program you know the Queen issued that statement saying that um, Prince Andrew was being stripped of all royal patronages. well I
0: imagine she was watching and <laughs> took advice
3: military titles yeah. you know and uh, made the point that he'll be defending himself as a private citizen so yeah but obviously he's still the Queen's second son so it, you know it's a huge interest mm. but each story that comes out each potential witness um, that his accuser you know, wants to be interviewed as part of the case, it, it's just awful.
0: What's curious, and this it's this unfair of me, Ken, this drip-drip you know, of information about witnesses coming forward about his character and, and actions or whatever, there's not really a barrage of people coming out to say nice things. And it feels like, you know, by all reports, he's never been the most popular with palace staff.
2: Well, no, I mean, I can't agree or disagree with what people say about (laughs) him Um, and you know and he has repeatedly personally and through his lawyers you know denied any accusation and of this and we'll have to wait and see where this where this goes but you know from my own experience and listening to colleagues that work with him yes he wasn't the most popular member of the royal family he was prone to some rather annoying arrogance he did treat you know, uh, uniformed staff with with contempt on occasions, and that's fairly well logged and and listened to. So yes, I mean he 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 was you know not the he wasn't the sort of a character that you would warm to as a as a servant if you like. And I you know if you were to sort of cast if it were possible to cast a pole below stairs at Buckingham Palace, mm-hmm. I got a fairly good idea as to where that pole would go to. Um, but you know that's that's him. You know he he he. He, he is what he is. He is the favourite of the Queen. I'm sure that is the case. Uh, and now he's sort of struggling, you know, to, to, to clear his name with with, with some difficulty. But, um, you know, I only ever worked with him on one occasion and, you know, with his protection officer, you know, came on a journey back to London from Aberdeen after a, 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 a stint in Balmoral. You know, and I sat by the window because his own protection was as fearful that he'd engage in some conversation with a member of the public that could <laughs> turn nasty. So I did the, the the best thing and sat with him. Because suddenly I'd he rise on the plane in front of a full aircraft. I'm sat by the window and called gestures to me, "Get out." And that's embarrassing, but that's his style, you know. And I'm afraid <laughs> no one within. The Paris I should is try going that sometime. Just <laughs> <laughs> like with her staff, but I did, but, but yeah. no. Yeah. Look. Look, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, he for all the the negative publicity which there are there has been quite a few sackloads of it. Um, we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens with the, with this um with this court case in the autumn.
0: Which royal family member it was would have been the most adored in your day? Well,
2: in my day certainly, you know, Diana had that that common touch because she enjoyed the conversation you know, which was great. Which she would sit certainly at Kensington Palace on the chess freezers uh, in the morning, where the chefs would open up the newspapers and whatever, so she'd have all that, and and liked the fact that she could sit there and have a piece of toast. So she liked all that. She was very good with with with, with the chauffeurs, the, yeah. the maids, and so forth, The whole band of of, of below-stairs staff, uh, which I'm sure is the case with a lot of other royals. Uh, Andrew had this sort of this super, superiority uh, 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 part of his life that deemed it. Almost impossible for him to speak to people below stairs. But look, he is what he is. Um, it, it, it's a tragedy for the Queen. It's a tragedy for the Monarch at the moment because all we're hearing today is the is the sadness sur- surrounding him, and and the negative publicity and and, and, the, and the sadness that that's coming from America mm. about Harry and his family. And I just think that for the for this the Queen's platinum jubilee. There should, at some point in the near future, some good news that comes to make it a year for all of us to remember.
0: Yeah. Well, it is an extraordinary time for British politics. And one of the more extraordinary moments of the past week was the Prime Minister Boris Johnson apologising to the Queen after it emerged that there was a staff party in Downing Street the night before the funeral of the Duke of Edinburgh, where Her Majesty very famously cut a solitary figure because of social distancing rules. Robert Hardman takes a look at the history of the sometimes thorny relationship with the monarch and the government.
4: The 2019 prorogation of Parliament uh, turned out to be uh, unlawful, according to the Supreme Court. So uh, on that occasion, uh, Boris Johnson and his ministers had effectively uh, asked the Queen to sign up to something um, that wasn't legal. Um, She'd taken legal advice beforehand, constitutionally. She was doing what she had to do. But Uh, that was an awkward moment. Uh, I think she's uh, fairly used by now to the fact that this particular government is um, not exactly watertight. In 2014, um, following on from the Scottish referendum, uh, David Cameron was uh, talking, uh, he thought, off camera, and uh, he was recounting the fact that the Scottish result had just come through and he'd had the happy task of um, reporting to the Queen that uh, the United Kingdom was still united. Um, and in a sort of glib kind of offhand way, he said that uh, she was almost purring down the phone. And that's not how prime ministers are supposed to talk about their monarch. And he ended up having to apologise. The new Labour project and the monarchy, there was, there was no question that you had on the one hand, you had a sort of cool Britannia um, mindset, and you had an old Britannia mindset. There was a Commonwealth Summit in Edinburgh um, where the Queen uh, sort of sat on the stage as they um, as they played the national anthem on dustbins, uh, and I don't think that was, um, should we say, uh, a high point of her of of the play years. Um, so there was a, there was definitely a culture clash between the modernising Blairites and palace traditionalists. People were always fascinated by um, the relationship between the Queen and Mrs Thatcher because. Uh, Margaret Thatcher was her first female prime minister, and, uh, and and was a you know a very strong character. And people have, have sort of uh, imagined these sort of um, showdowns between these two women, and uh, the crown has, has depicted all sorts of frankly nonsense. Uh, there were tensions, but I I think you can draw the fact that there was no lasting eminity there by the fact, simple fact that um, when Mrs. Thatcher died, uh, the Queen came to her funeral. She doesn't, she very rarely goes to um, politicians' funerals. I think the ultimate um, clash between uh, monarch and prime minister in, in modern times was obviously the issue when Edward VIII went to tell Stanley Baldwin, then prime minister, that he wanted to marry a divorced. Uh, woman and divorced American Wallace Simpson. And Stanley Baldwin told uh, the king um, that he couldn't, he couldn't do both. He couldn't be king and, he, and marry this woman. And so ultimately, um, the king jumped. I mean, that was a moment when monarch and prime minister um, really did come to blows and uh, ultimately uh, constitutional monarchy under those terms, government wins.
0: Just a quick word on this from our panel now and richard in this week's private eye it was reported that the queen was actually offered the chance to relax some of these social distancing rules for the duke's funeral but and declined what, what do you make of that
3: well i mean how characteristic of the queen and that that's why she's so admired and respected because you know that's the sort of thing that we we've come to expect I mean, of mean how
0: embarrassing for downing street
3: well, I think it really is. You know, mm-hmm. those images of the Queen on her own at the funeral have come to sort of symbolise the, the horrors, really, of the pandemic and how people across the country have felt when they haven't been able to attend funerals or other such, you know, heartrending occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for, you know, to hear about these parties that took place in Downing Street on the eve of Prince Philip's funeral, you know, it's frankly disgusting. Interestingly, the queen, he hasn't spoken to the Queen for five weeks, I reported in my column this week, even though they usually have a weekly audience. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Queen sort of... Or, um, yeah, is it
0: more that the Queen's not speaking to Boris? Yeah,
3: yeah I suspect <laughs> she's not in, in a desperate yeah. rush to have no. her meeting with him.
0: But Ken, it does seem to indicate, doesn't it, that um, the royal family, sometimes there might be evidence to the contrary, but, but this was a moment where it looked like they really, really cared about the mood of the public and were sensitive to the mood of the public
2: well I think as Richard said I think that you know it was a uh, must have been a very difficult time for Her Majesty uh, you know so publicly globally sat alone in the uh, the, the the Chapel Royal at Windsor you know t- to effectively bury her husband um, and of course the royal family are very keen to, to 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 make a stand and and lead by example and you know the, the the Prime Minister of the day and his his ministerial staff made it quite clear what the rules were with COVID, for all of us you know we've all endured difficult times um, these last two years and and i like everybody else as he played by those rules and i would i would not have expected the queen or any other member of the royal family to act in any different way so it my own view here within it is personally that that quite what the queen's reaction would be to what's happened or alleged to have happened in downing street would be quite difficult for her to understand. And and again, Mm. quite what her relationship is with the Prime Minister, who knows? Um, And maybe one day we'll find out what that is. But certainly the Queen's advice would be, look, if they are the rules, then we all abide by those regulations. And I've not heard of any parties at the back of Clarence house, Kensington Palace or Buckingham Palace. So to me, I think they have done what we've all done in the last two years, is abide by the advice of the scientists and the government
0: just have to wait for that series of the crown to find out all about it but that is all we have time for now for this week my thanks to our contributors rebecca english ken wolf robert hardman and richard eden and as always a special thank you to you for watching and we will see you next week goodbye